This is episode number two with Hollywood actress Teresa Palmer. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Teresa Palmer is a big-time Hollywood actress and the creator and founder of Your Zen Life and Your Zen Mama, two awesome websites that you guys should check out. Now, she has been in copious amounts of films, including Point Break, Warm Bodies, and I Am Number Four. She was most recently seen starring in the thriller Lights Out, and earlier this year, she starred in Night of Cups alongside Christian Bale, which is pretty cool. Now, Tez and I met a couple of years ago through a mutual friend, and this friend her name was Amy, kind of set us up on a blind date, so to speak. She said, you two have to meet. You would just love each other and get along so well. You're so similar and like-minded. And when we met, it was just like instant soul sister connection. And we've since been really great friends since. I love so much about Tez, so many things, but I love her authenticity. She is so vulnerable and real and doesn't ever try and be anything but herself, which is rare to find in Hollywood. I also love her ability to make you feel like you are the most important person in the world. She actually does that. When you're in the room with her, she makes you feel like you are the only person that matters. She has an absolute heart of gold and is a wealth of knowledge, as you guys will learn in this interview. In this interview, we chat about so many things, how she deals with the pressure from the industry to look a certain way, her daily Zen practices to keep her sane and Zen in Hollywood. She gives loads of relationship tips. We also learn how she learned to love her body, love and accept her body, which is a big thing, especially for us ladies, and her biggest lessons from working in Hollywood. We also learn about how to consciously parent. She gives us so many tips and books and websites that we can uh, check out to help us expand our knowledge around conscious parenting, plus so much more. You guys are going to love this interview. Everything that we mention will be in the show notes, and you can check that out at melissaambrosini.com forward slash two. And without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome, beautiful Teresa. It's so good to have you gorgeous. Thank you for having me. Before we dive in, I always like to ask, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Um, what did I have? Okay, I had birch and muesli. I'm staying at a hotel right now, so it was like whatever I could choose from the menu. Birch and muesli, it was organic, almond milk, Greek yogurt, slivered almonds um, with some apples. Beautiful. <laughs> it was really yummy. Yummy, yum, yeah. yum. So I am so excited to share your wisdom with everyone today. And you are an incredibly successful actress. You're oh. a mama. You're the founder and creator of Your Zen Life and Your Zen Mama. And you have given 
so much love in everything they do, but you're also incredibly humble, which I oh, love. So sweet. So how the heck do you do it all? <laughs> Share your secrets with me. <laughs> you're so, I mean, you can talk. You are like the queen of balance. Um, but it is, I mean, I think that's the key word is balance is just trying to find that, trying to cultivate that for ourselves in this, um, you know, all this self-imposed busyness that we have in life. Um, for me, there are so many areas that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, my priority obviously is motherhood and I'm so passionate about that, which is where your Zen mother was, was born because I was just so focused on my new role as a mother and I wanted to channel that into something creative. So that's where your Zen mama came about. And then, you know, I've been acting for about 12 years now. And I've had um, a lot of fun doing that, but I was re- I got to a point where I was ready to branch out and, and go on different journeys in my life. So for me, um, it's just looking at my week and trying to fit everything in my week. Um, I have now realized that the main priority has to be cultivating self-care because I think it's one that we all forget about because life is so busy. There is so much stuff that we're doing. And a lot of the time, it's really hard to remember to take those moments out, to take a personal inventory, check in with ourselves, have a bath, go to the gym, whatever it is that serves ourselves um, is what we should be leaning into. So when I do that, I feel like I have the space to figure out Today I'm working on your Zen mama. Tomorrow I have an audition, so I'll be working on that. The next day I have three play dates in a row. The following day, you know, all those sorts of things. But when I'm coming from a place of self-care, it's almost like there's more space for everything else in my life to come in. So it's good. (laughs) That's how I've been doing it. (laughs) And did you get to a place where you realized I've got to up my self-care and I've got to up my self-love or is it something that you've always been aware and conscious of? I think, uh, you know, my relationship with spirituality and, you know, cultivating um, self-love came out of uh, many years spent in, uh, I guess I call it being a shell of myself. Uh, That was from about 2007 to 2011, which is when I first moved out to Los Angeles. I was on my own. I was really young. I was just about to turn 21. I didn't know anyone. And I was thrust into this industry, which places an emphasis on the physical attributes of a person. And I was not ready for that. And it didn't feel right. It felt really lonely and empty. And I was very afraid. And But I spent all these years um, in this kind of place where there was such a void inside of me and I didn't know why. And then I decided after a pretty traumatic breakup in 2011, that I had to fill the void with nothing else but me and nothing external could fill the void it had to come from an internal place so and how did you have that realization like where did that did you read a book or did it just like come to you in a meditation or it's um 
it was like day five of sobbing, crying, just the what You know when you go through those breakups, <laughs> it's very painful. The ugly cry. Yes, the ugly <laughs> snot cry. And my mum had come over to try and help me move out of, you know, my ex-partner's house. And, and my mum was also going through a breakdown at the time too. So I was literally like, every aspect of my life is messing up. What is going on? And then I got to a certain point where it became so painful where I just, it was almost like a light switch just flicked. And I realized that there had to be a gift in this somewhere. Like, where is the lesson? Let me try and find that lesson. Cause it was my last glimmer of hope. Um, I didn't want to fall into the depths of despair for a long period of time. So it was almost like I made the decision to find the gift in it. And then once I made that decision, that's when I started reading books. And that's when I found a couple of amazing uh, books. Uh, Eckhart Tolle, I'm a huge fan of. I know that you're a huge fan of his too. Um, The Power of Now is obviously one of his bestsellers and is is completely poignant and, and so on point to me. But then the one that I really loved, was called A New Earth. And there was actually a specific chapter in there and I felt like it was written for me. Um, And it was dealing with someone who is navigating through um, having a profile and having fame. And it so beautifully broke down how toxic that environment can be that it gave me a lot of answers. And then I just kept delving into his book And it was like the sun started shining again and I had such clarity uh, and, and I was excited again. I was excited about life and this new world that I hadn't discovered before. Uh, And I guess I label it like consciousness or mindfulness. And then from Eckhart Tolle, I looked at his teachers and then I found like uh, Pima Chodron and I found some other amazing people. That's, you know, I love like Marianne Williamson and, there's lots of beautiful, inspiring um, people who just kind of changed my life at that point. Oh my gosh. It's, I love you. Everything you're saying is just resonating. And I love that you had this nugget of wisdom that there's got to be a gift. And that's how I now look at every situation, every yeah. Thing that someone would deem a failure, I don't look at it like a mistake or a failure. I look at it as an opportunity for growth. Totally. So do you now let that kind of philosophy drip feed out into every area of your life? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think I, it was like the seed was planted in 2011. Um, and then I discovered, uh, meditation and I was actually doing some really interesting types of meditation. I did this one called sensory deprivation meditation. So you go into a room, the the darkest room you can possibly be in. Metaphorically? Um, or? No, like literally. Literally, okay. You go into a dark room. Um, so I did a actually Moby, you know, the singer Moby. Yeah. He was really big into this kind of meditation. So he would have these sensory deprivation meditations and chanting at his house. So he's like... Mr. You know, uh, conscious living, very strict vegan. And so he would have about 20 people over to his castle. And there was this area in his uh, house where 
there would be zero source of light at all. So as soon as you shut the door, you, you're in complete, the blackest of black you've ever seen. I mean, you open your eyes, you can't see anything in front of you. And there's a circle of people and, um, you know, you, they shut the door and some people were chanting, some people are oming, some people are quiet. It's a form of meditation. It's a pretty radical way to meditate. And I did this about two months into this experience. Um, and it, it really changed me. And I, got to know myself because it's really, I mean, that's quite a vulnerable place to be in, to not be able to see anything. Um, and then that really helped. And I can just continue going deeper and deeper and deeper into my work. So now cut to five years later, I'm in, um, a place where it feels pretty organic that this is just the way I live my life. Um, whereas I think when I first started, I was really trying it on. Like I was really taking these methods and consciously applying them to my life. Now it's more of a, a second thought. Like it's just kind of there. And you're right. I have the same kind of response you do in terms of like navigating through adversity. I look at adversity, um, you know, I embrace it with open arms because I now know the power of adversity and what that gives you. Um, and the other thing I've learned, which I think when I first started doing this work, was I would almost not allow myself to have the feelings of grief or to have the feelings of pain or depression because I was like, well, it's a gift. It's a gift. I kept reminding myself it was a gift. But now what I've learned is that I have to lean into the feelings and allow them to be there, marinate in the pain and the suffering, marinate in it, let it be there and let it flow through and out of your body. Because if you ignore it and suppress it, that's when it's going to come up later. So yeah, you can go too far one way. I think where you just, you just don't feel any emotions, but it's human nature to feel these things. So now I feel them. I mean, I was crying just yesterday at something and my husband was kind of talking me through it. And I was like, no, I like love that I'm leaning into this. Like I'm going to purge all these tears out and these feelings. And I was just kind of observing where I was at. And then today I felt like a new woman. I was exactly the same as you. I thought, no, I'm, I'm just going to feel rainbows and butterflies, but that <laughs> is not reality. No, You know, every emotion is there to be felt anger grief frustration depression anxiety and i'm the same when an emotion comes boiling up within me i open my arms to it yeah. and i'm just like all right anxiety i welcome you because i know that in order for the emotion to move through me because emotions are just energy in motion they yeah. need to move through you that i have to allow myself to be that vessel for it to be expressed when we suppress that's when resentment anger and disease yes. starts in the body that's right so i, I love disease disease that's, that's it right. it's it all starts with suppression of emotions. So yeah, I love, I love that you embrace everything that comes up and just letting yourself feel it. Has this made you, this awareness made you a better actress? Uh, it's interesting. I have thought about that. 
And I would say that my work's gotten a lot deeper since doing this because I know myself. I truly know who I am now. Um, and I think that's a journey that just always continues. It's ever evolving. And the older you get, the more you, you know about yourself. I think prior to doing some of this self-development work, um, I've noticed in my work that I would just play on a character, um, you know, my first few movies. I would just be a character. I wasn't injecting any of my own spirit into it, whereas now it's almost like they're all different versions of parts of myself. Uh, And that to me is characters that have life breathed into them. You need to, to make a character feel authentic and real. It has to be based on something real. Um, and so instead of just making it up as I used to when I was younger, like it comes from a place within me. And it's interesting because my, the opportunities I've been getting have been unlike anything I've ever had before in my career. Uh, and just the, the work has definitely gotten stronger. And I assume it's because of that. I also do think becoming a mother, um, has had a pretty significant impact on my career because I feel everything so much greater. I feel love so much greater than I ever have. Um, I also feel fear because the fear of something happening to your child. I didn't, I didn't know the real feeling of fear until I had a child, which is really interesting. So it's like the world is so much more vibrant in its colors than before I was a mother. And I think because of that, my work has gotten stronger. Mm, Wow. I want to go back and touch on um, something that we spoke about before. Uh, I know for me, when I was working as a professional dancer and I did some acting and TV presenting, I really struggled with self-confidence and loving myself and loving my body, which a lot of people struggle with. And you're in this film and TV industry. How do you handle the pressure to look a certain way? I'm sure it's evolved from when you were in your early 20s to now. In this moment, with the awareness and the consciousness that you have now, like how do you deal with it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a swinging pendulum with it, to be perfectly honest. I think when I was younger in my 20s, I was so celebrated for the way I physically looked that, and I was um, put in movies because of the way I looked. I mean, not anything to do with my ability a lot of the time. It was just I had very blonde hair. They would put a lot of makeup on me that would make me look like this bombshell that I that I actually truly wasn't in my soul or in my heart. It, that never reflected, uh, it reflected who I was. I didn't recognize myself in those films and, and in those moments. And, um, you know, this, a lot of, uh, psychologists say that when you become famous or when you start getting a lot of attention, it's very easy to do this thing called splitting where you essentially split yourself into two, (laughs) two people. So there's your, acting self, your, um, the self with the profile, the self that gets attention and fame. And then there's your real self. And you actually look at a lot of these celebrities today who I think those things have just become completely blurred and they lose a sense of their own authentic self. And 
I think that started to happen to me. Do you think it's good though to have these two separate identities, so to speak, or do you think it's better to merge merge them? Well, I think it's a natural thing that you, that's just how you deal with it is you split it. And I personally splitting really works for me because I can go and do a red carpet and get all doled up and talk about a movie. Um, but I have such a strong sense of self that that really just feels like my work and I'm going and I'm playing the role of that character and then I just have the real me, which is the mama and the wife and, the you know, like doing my blogging and, and that feels... In your yoga pants. Really, in my in <laughs> yoga pants. Um, that feels like me. So I think it's really good. But the last few years I've decided, um, the last few years, in fact, I have been getting followed a lot more than I used to when I was younger every day, like outside of working by photographers and whatnot, because as soon as you have a kid, this is like the disgusting part of our industry is if you get photographed with your child on the street, the photograph is worth more money for the photographers. If you get photographed pregnant and with a child, it's even, it's like triple the amount of money. So I have been getting followed every day by two to three people. And I don't wear makeup. I don't change the way I dress. I just am what I am because I know that if every day I wake up and try and pretend to be something that I'm not, I will lose myself. I love so, that about you, by the way. Oh, you know, well, thanks. I really do <laughs> love that you are just this beautiful, authentic earth mama. And you do. You walk out of the house. I mean, you're freaking ridiculously beautiful. Oh, gosh. And, yeah. you know, but you just walk out of the house and you're like, this is me in my yoga pants. My hair's in a bun and I've got no makeup on and this is me. I love that about you so much. It's very inspiring. But how the hell do you freaking cope with being followed every day? Like not only would that be so invasive, I would feel like I'm going to be crazy. Yeah, it's hard not to be self-aware, like aware of what you're doing in each moment because you know you're getting photographed. that is challenging. And sometimes I realize that I'm not doing everything I would be doing. Um, like, oh, I, well, one thing I definitely do do is I wear sunglasses every time I leave the house because I have naturally dark circles under my eyes. And so if I get photographed all of a sudden, like without my sunglasses on, all of a sudden it's like, she needs more sleep. She looks like a drug addict. (laughs) It's so funny, but Truly, it just has to be water off a duck's back because I really don't care what people think about the way I physically look. I I don't care. It's how I feel. Have you always got, have you always not cared or is that something that's evolved? It's developed. Yeah. Um, I used to care all the time. Uh, I used to care so much, especially in my early 20s, to be honest. And then I kind of transitioned out of it and I was like, you know what I care about? I care that I'm a good person. I, I want to be a good person. I want to be a good mom. I want to uh, be authentically who I am. And my looks are my looks. That's just my body. That's As long as I'm being healthy and taking care of myself, I really don't have any interest in trying to change or morph the way I look. It just is who I am. So I'm going to embrace that. And I really don't 
care about any of the other noise. Um, I just don't put any stock in it now. And I know that it means that unlike a lot of other people in this industry who do think that it's a part of their job to look a certain way, I am just left of center like that. Like I, I do understand that argument where everyone says, well, you get paid to be in shape and you get paid to look good and you get back as an actor. I think if I was a model, I would agree with that, that that is a part of my job. Um, but as an actor, I really am embracing the idea that I am portraying a woman in these films that is a real human being and real human beings don't look perfect all the time. So that's kind of where I'm sitting in and maybe I've lost roles because of it, um, because I don't like to dye my hair platinum blonde and I don't like to have the fanciest clothes and I have got cellulite and I have got shaped my body. I'm not one of those extremely skinny actresses. Maybe I've lost roles, but I don't care because I'm really enjoying the types of roles and the types of people who want to cast me in those roles because they embrace that and they celebrate real. And that's kind of what, I, what I'm about. Mm, amen. Love it so much. Oh, you're so sweet. But, yeah, I love it. Otherwise it's like what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> and does your hubby, Mark, have the same sort of philosophy as you? Yeah, it's funny. Mark cares more about his looks than I care about mine. <laughs> I think Nick's the same. <laughs> yeah. He spends more time grooming oh, his hair than so I do. So does Mark. He's yeah. like all about the organic products and yeah. he like spends so much money on it and his sneakers and his, he's like cares way more about it. But um, he, we do have a very similar philosophy. He actually had been doing a lot of this work because he was a drug addict and had to lean in very severely into like himself and his past and get to know himself immediately because it was life or death for him. So he went through um, a lot of therapy and meditations and conscious work prior to us even knowing each other. So he was kind of the perfect person to come into my orbit who had just done, he had had years of work on me. So he was a teacher and we were, we are now mirrors for each other. And he's, um, you know, been sober now for a long time and has really done such beautiful work on himself. So it's so nice to find that in a partner. And I really recommend people who are interested in moving towards this place of consciousness and mindfulness to surround yourself with like-minded people or people who are interested in delving into this journey with you, whether that's finding a partner like that or just friends, family members. I think it's great to find your tribe who are interested in those same things because you inspire each other. How do you find your tribe? Because I have lots of people come up to me at my events and even in the street and they'll say to me, where do I find my tribe? How do I find my tribe? Or they say, I'm in a relationship and they've evolved, they've done the work, but their partner hasn't. And they've now realized that they no longer have a lot in common. And I am exactly like you. Like when I got together with Nick, he had done, he had eight years Mm -hmm. of personal development and consciousness and spiritual work that he'd done on himself. And I knew when I was wanting to call in 
my my partner, when I wanted to call him in, I was like, I, I was so clear on the type of person that I wanted to manifest yeah. into my life. And there has to be unity in a relationship. Yeah, There has to be alignment on your beliefs. And I'm curious, I'll, I'll get to this in a minute about, you know, your beliefs and if they're aligned on parenting and things like that. But for me, I believe that there has to be unity in all areas of your relationship. Otherwise there's friction and tension and resentment and build. resentment. And I never used to believe that. I also, I always thought that you had to compromise, Yeah, you know, okay, well, we don't have the same money beliefs. So, or we don't have the same parenting beliefs or we don't have the same beliefs around life and saving or just things like that. Yeah. And in my past relationships, we disagreed on a lot of things and there was always that fr- friction. But mm-hmm. with Nick, we have we are aligned on every area. Yeah, it's great. You know, with our parenting beliefs, with our beliefs around money, with our beliefs around health, with our beliefs around relationships. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't argue. Of course, we have yeah. disagreements. Like we are human. We have disagreements. But in general, we came together because we were aligned and because there was that unity there. Yeah. So I'm curious to know with Mark, are you guys aligned in the area of parenting? Cause you, I know that you do a lot of conscious parenting. You've done a lot of research. You talk a lot about it on your Zen life and your Zen mama. And it's amazing. So do you guys have the same beliefs around parenting? Yeah. Um, a hundred percent, which is fantastic and makes life so much easier. When I, I like you called him in, I actually wrote a list, 10 pages of what I wanted in my husband, like literally manifested him. It's like, I kind of like had a magic wand and he appeared. Um, yes. A few of the points on my 10 pages were has to be interested in, um, you know, I was really excited about the idea of natural birth and it's such a specific weird thing to put on a manifest list for a husband, but I wrote it down there and I said conscious parenting and alternative methods of raising children and I wrote all these things down and he was completely all of those things. In fact, he was so passionate about natural birth uh, with I like you. I'm a, I'm a stepmom. Um, I uh, was really interested when I met him. He had had a home birth with his first son and was such an advocate for like home birth and natural parenting and all that sort of stuff. I was so shocked that I could tick that off of the list of these 10 pages that I had. Um, and then we just totally see eye to eye. When I met him, he had a four-year-old son. And one of the reasons I fell in love with him was his way with Isaac. He just had this beautiful, um, understanding of who his son was and this wonderful ability to communicate with him on a real level, not as a superior, but as someone who really wanted to get to know his child and meet his emotional needs, which I thought was really beautiful. And he practiced this kind of parenting called Rye Parenting, R-I-E. So it's huge in America, especially California and some of the more progressive states like California and, and Los Angeles is the hub for 
you know, conscious parenting and meditation and, and that kind of life, which is so funny. My mum calls it new agey. New agey. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, mum, you have no idea. Um, but, yeah, so I was thrust into this, like, rye parenting world, which um, there's this great website for anyone interested, um, JanetLansbury.com, and she kind of breaks down what rye parenting is. But it was quite beautiful. Um, I actually, when I first went out there, one of my first friends was Ben Lee and his wife, Ione, and they did rye parenting with their little daughter, Goldie. And um, it's all about actually doing less as a parent, observing your child more and doing less. So understanding that they're a capable little being, even as babies, coming in and if you're going to pick up your child, say, I'm going to pick you up before you take them to the change table. I'm going to, I'm going to take you over and change your nappy. Um, looking them in the eye, like giving them that respect and really including them in the process. Um, and then there's this other great thing that Mark and I kind of more discovered, I think, through the birth of my son, Bodie. He wasn't really doing that as much with Isaac, but there's this great book called The Continuum Concept, which I love so much. Jean Lydloff is the author and she went and spent a long time in this tribe in the 1970s and really observe the way like tribal communities work and how they are with their children. And essentially what they did was the kids just came with them on their work. Like they would go out and work and they would hunt and they would do all the things that they needed to do. And the babies would be in a sling on their back or on their front and would just observe the adults' interactions and the adults' life. Um, and it, they wore their babies for the first year of their lives. And so for us, we really love this book and this philosophy. So we did a lot of baby wearing. Um, so we had Bodhi constantly in a sling and he came with us everywhere. He came to meetings. He came to auditions. He came to work. He just observed us living our life. And we really created this secure attachment. And he, you know, he was the kid that went to preschool who was like, bye, mum. And I was like, wait. You're like, no. What? <laughs> and, you know, the majority of the other kids were like, no, mummy, don't leave. And I remember saying to my husband, nothing. I got nothing. There was yeah. no, like, mummy, don't go. And I'll see you later. Yeah, he was literally like, peace, <laughs> having fun with his friends. And um, it was in that moment that I realized, like, wow, he feels a secure attachment and he feels that we're not going anywhere. Even though he's going to preschool, he has that bond. And I do think that um, it's about some of these parenting choices that we made. Everyone has a different way of doing it and it's whatever kind of flows with your family. But for us, this conscious parenting movement was really the thing that resonates. Oh, babe, everything you're saying is just like nugget after nugget after nugget. It's so good. And when I think back uh, to when I first met Nick and Leo, so as you know, Leo is my 10-year-old stepson, they very much did that with him as well. So from a young age, they spoke to him like an adult. They didn't do the, oh, boogie, goody, boogie, boogie, like they no. didn't do any of that 
putting down baby talk. Yeah. Um, they took him everywhere. And he has such a groundedness, a presence, a he's so sure of himself, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and it sounds like, you know, I've met Bodhi and he is, but you know, when he first went to kindy, he was so confident and sure of himself that that's why he could walk away and go see a mum. Yeah. But so many kids, they don't have that sense of self that mm-hmm. they freak out mm-hmm. and that's why they freak out. Yeah. And because they've, you know, been helicoptered, you know, the helicopter parenting yeah. type of thing, which <laughs> it's, you know, it's interesting. But I love, I love everything you're saying and, you know, we've spoken about Rye parenting before and all of these techniques and we'll make sure we put all of these books that Tez has recommended in mm-hmm. the show notes so everyone can go and check all of this out. Yeah, Dr. Sears is another one you should put in there the attachment parenting philosophy, which I think is amazing. And so funny because that name attachment parenting, it has such a stigma to it because everyone thinks it means you have to be so attached to your child, but it's actually, again, just creating a secure attachment. Um, and you should, uh, definitely have a link to his website because I just think his stuff is, is beautiful. He also has an amazing book on vaccinations too. And, um, you know, what's in the vaccination. So you can be completely educated and pick like which way you want to vaccinate your child. And so he is Dr. Sears. I think he's amazing. He's one of our gurus for sure. Awesome. Well, I'll put that in the show notes too. So. I'd like to know how you, what are some tips or, you know, five things, how you live a Zen life? Because you, yeah, you live in this, you live in the Hollywood Hills. You've got a big director husband. From the outside, it could look like it's a very full on industry. Well, it is, it's full on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're not careful, you can get swept up yeah. in it. So how do you stay zen? What have, have you got five little tips or things? You've mentioned, you know, self-care as one of them. Yeah, that would, yeah, I'd have to say that is probably the number one. Yep. Uh, and self-care looks different for every person. So it's actually a process to find out what self-care is for you. And it's the thing that makes you melt, whether it's a massage and that feeling is completely recharging. So it's that, um, finding that recalibration. I think for me, it's a bath. Um, it's really simple, but I would like an hour every day and I have a bath and I have a lavender oil that goes in my bath and I listen to my podcasts in the bath and that is my me time and my self-care. And then I'm completely recharged and available and present to continue just doing life. So that is important and it's a daily thing. It can't be every other day I'll think about myself. It has to be daily. Um, Second, I'm all about books. All right, you could, this could be books slash podcasts. Um, what are your slash audio books? Any, what are your top podcasts? Have you got any top podcasts or top books? I You've love, mentioned a few books already, which we'll put in the show notes, but any off the top of your um, head? I love this podcast called Zencast. It's great. It's all like Zen living, how to simplify your life. Um, you know, even like decluttering of your life, which uh, helps you find a lot more clarity and just literally physical decluttering, having less stuff, at mm. least 50% less stuff than what you have now, which 
is amazing. I remember um, when I stayed at your house last in Hollywood, you were doing the declutter. <laughs> oh my gosh. We literally How's got rid of, I would say we got rid of 70% of our stuff. Oh. We just donated everything. Oh my, does it feel good? The house looks and feels completely different. Oh my God. It's amazing because you need to have those sacred spaces totally. so that you can have like the creativity and you're not you know, um, like oppressed by just stuff and craziness. It's, it's like a reflection of the state of your mind. So once you clear that out, your mind feels clearer. Um, so finding those books, podcasts, audio books. Um, so that means that you are, uh, finding the authors that resonate with you. So for me, Eckhart Tolle, I also love like Gabrielle Bernstein. I think she's great. Chris Carr. Um, I really love watching, Oprah's Soul Sunday sessions. Like I, I saw you in the audience. Ah, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> On one of them. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, hilarious. I was uh, like, this tears. You're like, what? <laughs> yes. Um, I was like, I wish I was there with you. Oh, it was oh. so good. It yeah. was so good. Um, Carolyn Miss is another amazing author. Um, but yeah, you have to find the ones that work for you. These are all ones that work for me. I love, oh, The Four Agreements is an amazing book. I'm sure you've read that one. Love it's, it. It's fantastic. So keeping that as something, I mean, if you could do it daily, it'd be great. That one's not, as if you can't, if you don't have the time every day and you're still doing your self-care for an hour a day, listening to a podcast every other day, reading a book twice or three times a week, um, as a recharge is really important. So I would say that it takes a bit of research to be honest, to find the right ones that are your gems, your go-tos. But once you find them, then they're there. And it's like having tools in your back pocket. You can always go and check in, get, I love that word that you say, the nugget, get your little nugget of wisdom and then keep moving through. Um, Number three is figure out, I, I think it's super important to make sure that you're in alignment with your passion and your spirit because a lot of people are just doing life. They're just waking up and just like it's a machine. You just do the same thing every day. It's a little uninspiring, um, but it's like we wake up, we go to work, we come home, we go to sleep, we wake up and it gets quite mundane. And I think a lot of the time it's because people aren't really leaning into the things that they love and the things that make their spirit sing. So you have to figure out if what you're doing in the path that you're on is the right path, because if it's not, then you're just wasting precious years. So that's another one in terms of being more Zen um, you know, Zen for me is cultivating happiness from within. And, um, if you're not loving what you're doing in your life, you have to change it. So figuring that out, um, I sometimes write a list of things that I'm really excited about, things that make me really happy. I wrote a list this year what was on the list? Um, things that I wanted to do, like piano. I really have always wanted to do piano. I have been saying that I wanted to do piano since I was about seven or eight Did years old. Did you do old. it? I've never done it up until this year. Wow. I got a piano and I was like, I'm going to start learning the piano. Yeah. And so I have a piano teacher now. He just comes in once a week and I'm 
totally a beginner, but I'm enjoying it. And I knew that it was something I had to do because it was something that I always thought about. Mm. So writing a list of those things and then actually just doing them, guitar lessons, going and learning pottery, breaking up with that boyfriend, whatever it is that's uninspiring in your life, filtering that out and then putting all the things in your life that you've been excited about or wanting to try, just doing it, not talking about just actually taking action. Um, Well, then you know that one of the most important ones, and I think you talk about this a lot on your website, is um, really making sure you're making smart health choices. So uh, meditation in terms of your mind, meditation, um, yoga is really good for your mind. Uh, therapy, therapy is amazing for some people. I did therapy and it helped kickstart this whole process for me because I got to go back into my past and start like linking habits to experiences that I had had in my childhood and just making changes and breaking these habitual patterns. So health in terms of your mind is that, um, and then eating a lot cleaner than what you probably are eating. The majority of food these days have additives and toxins and various things that don't serve your body at all. So, um, but, but a lot of the time it's because people have a lack of education surrounding nutrition. They don't typically talk about nutrition unless you really seek it out. But these big corporations are selling so many products that are full of things that are really harmful for our bodies. Um, And obviously they're not advertising the sorts of toxins that are going into their food. So what I tend to do as a general rule is I stick to the outside of the grocery. When you go into a supermarket, it's like the outside lanes, which is where the greens are and the, the whole foods are still there. Um, as soon as you start to get in the middle aisles, it's where all the packaged junk is. And, um, and that's, I mean, it's so unhealthy for your body and whatever's happening on the inside of your body is affecting your brain too. And it's affecting your mental awareness and your energy levels. And so if you're feeling kind of low and, um, you're really like struggling to get out of a negative low lying place, it might be good to take a look at the foods that you're eating and the nutrition that you have. So I do that. I also know when I eat junk, I feel like junk. Totally. (laughs) It's just quite simple. Yeah. Yeah. You You feel like crap. You do. I feel lethargic. I mean, it really affects me in terms of my just mental clarity. I want to sleep and I think I feel like I'm vibrating on a on a low level when I eat really crappy foods. Every now and then I love to have a treat and that's fine because I know it's a treat. It's not my everyday. So yeah, I mean I guess that's all those things. It's mind, it's body, it's spirit. Um and then gosh, what's the what's the last one? Have you got a fifth? If not, they're pretty good, those ones. They're um, really good. What's what's another thing that I do? Uh, I think I would say letting go of 
toxic relationships uh, mm. would probably be the last one I would say. Um, I've, I've had to filter through a lot of friendships over the last kind of six, seven years. Um, a lot of people in my life oh, were really struggling with a lot of things and you want to be there for them and you want to create the space and help them. But a lot of the time when they're definitely existing on a low vibrational level, then um, it can really have a negative impact on you. And so you either you can either decide to engage in um, a journey of helping them and you'll be able to tell if they're open to help or not. Because some people don't want to be helped. Some people don't. And it's their own journey. But it's okay to allow ourselves to put up a boundary. And I think I never knew that. I thought I had to sacrifice my own well-being to pull this person out of a rut, but they're not going to do it until they're ready. So I've put up a lot of boundaries. You can put someone at arm's length while they go through their own journey because that toxic energy is only going to impact your journey in a negative way. And I think we feel guilty and we just sit in these toxic relationships because we really feel like that we're helping. But a lot of the time we're just enabling that person's behavior. So taking a step back and creating a safe space around you, I think is integral. Um, And that might mean breaking up with that boyfriend or having distance from a friend or even a family member. I've, I have struggled with family members who I feel aren't able to meet me in an evolved way. They are not willing to engage in open communication because they're not interested in conscious communication. They're just coming from a really emotional feelings-based place. Uh, and you can't change them. There's nothing you can do. So at that point, I typically just love them for who they are, but like put up the boundaries that are necessary. So important. So important. I'm exactly the same. You know, there is, there are people in my life, there are family members in my life that I've had to really put up those boundaries and say, okay, I'm here for you. My arms are open. I love you. You just ask when you need help, but they they don't want to they don't want to look at it, and that's okay. Yeah, that's their journey. But I'm here for them, and you know, if they want my support and help, I'm just a phone call away. But I'm not going to put myself in the fire anymore. Yeah, and that's what I really struggled with when I first started on this journey, is because I wanted to save everybody. I know. You know I was like, but come on, this journey it's so much. I know. But some people may not in this lifetime and that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. It's their journey. So everything you're saying just resonates so much. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm really curious to know what is one thing that you're working on or you would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Um, maybe it's something that you don't want anyone to know. Like, is there anything that you want to improve or that you're working on within yourself? Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, I think there are two things. So my two biggest things that I come up against, which has been really interesting, I actually learned this about myself through therapy many years ago, not many years ago, five years ago, um, 
is my issue surrounding control. So I am a very type A personality and I like to have control. Me too. Raise your hand. Who yeah, else is out there that's like that? Recovering Literally. control freak over here. Um, and so I've always been that way. I mothered my mother. I liked to be in control and I realized that that stems from having a childhood where I felt often out of control because, you know, I have a very mentally ill mother and it was just me and my mum, and I'd be bouncing between my mum's house and my dad's house. Um, I often felt out of control as a child. And so it's now manifested itself as an adult, someone who wants to control everything. Interesting. Um, I like to control, I mean, one of the main things I like to control is, even just my husband with the way I have a system with Bodhi, like we do this and then he has his bath and then he brushes his teeth and then we rub in the Egyptian magic on his scar <laughs> and then we do the thing and then I rub his belly and then this is how it's done. <laughs> and then I hear, you know, um, I went away. I've only spent one way, uh, one night away from Bodhi and the night that I spent away, Mark like had him sleeping in the bed and they watched TV before bed. And I was like, what, 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 what? Like, no, <laughs> um, it broke my system. So what I've been trying to do is liberate myself from the control. Um, How have you been doing that? Just like letting go and also being super aware of my actions and my thoughts. And before I speak, realizing I'm going to try and control this right now. I'm going to take a beat. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to let this flow through me and out. So I will consciously say that to myself as I hear a rebuttal. It's usually with my husband surrounding like parenting because I feel like I have the system down and, um, and it's funny because my actual system is to really have no system with Bodhi, to be in the flow, be in the moment. Every day looks different. Um, but I feel like I I just know so well that I'm trying to tell my husband all these things that I know about Bodhi and he has a beautiful relationship with Bodhi and he has his own dynamic with him. It doesn't have to be the same as mine. So that's something I struggle with. Um, my mom, I've constantly tried to control since, you know, she and I were younger. Um, I definitely did as a teenager. I did it up until my mid twenties. And then in the last few years, I've decided to just really let go and allow my mom to have her experience. But it's that same thing that you were saying, when you've done a lot of conscious work and you really feel like you know what's best for the person, you want to tell that person to do it your way or to think your way. Um, but that's, again, coming from a place of control. <laughs> exactly. And everyone is different mm-hmm. and everyone has different beliefs. And who am I to say that mine are right and yours are wrong? Like totally. that's pretty arrogant. Totally. And it's it's the surrender. It's the let go. I would love to know what was it like growing up almost parenting your mom? Um, I didn't know any different. Mm. So it was just my experience. It was just I was very independent from a very young age. And you were an only child? Only child. 
Um, I had, you know, a mother who sort of was in and out of mental institutions growing up. Um, and, but then she was well for many, many years. It's only been the last few years that she's, her health, her mental health has started to decline again. And she's been in, in and out of hospital kind of over the last couple of years. But it's worse for me now than it was as a child. I think I probably suppressed a lot of my pain and suffering as a child um, as a way of survival, which is the other thing I was going to say is because that was my tactic as a child, any fear that I had or pain or suffering or longing for a different life, I would just suppress the feelings. So how that has manifested itself is I have got to a place where I won't allow myself to feel pain or suffering. Even when my mom was recently gone, she recently went to hospital. I decided not to feel it. I was like, it's fine. It's cool. Moving on. Like I didn't even let myself feel the grief of that or the fear of that until my husband, who's my mirror, thank God, pointed out that like, it's okay to be scared about this. It's okay to be sad. And he was right. And it's so my like soldiering through a feeling that I, I just put that on as a child. That was like my, my armor as a child. And it's served me in many ways. I do have to say it's definitely served me getting through some, you know, situations in my life. But now as an adult, I'm like, it's starting to not serve me because I'm not going into the feeling. Um, so that was the other thing when you said, what did you want to change about? Said, that is something I'm working on. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was only now that I look back that that would have been a really challenging time for me. I just didn't let myself feel it. I just thought of, it was great because I got whatever I wanted from my mom. I, you know, she never really told me about Santa. She would just let me buy presents at Christmas time. So I would get to go into Toys R Us <laughs> and just pick out whatever I wanted for Christmas, not knowing that it's actually kind of tragic that I didn't get to experience the Santa Claus story because my mom would just have me pick out the toys at Christmas time but I loved it. Like I grew up, I was rebellious as a teenager. I could sleep at my boyfriend's house many nights in a row. It was, I had so much freedom mm. that I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but it's only been now reflecting back as an adult that I was like, oh, I probably needed a little more boundaries. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can relate. So let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum that in, in every single high school around the world, what book would you put in there? Mm. Got to go back to Eckhart Tolle. Which is He's my guru. Mm. Um, a New Earth. Mm, it's a goodie. It'd have to be broken down because it's, it can be hard to follow sometimes. So you'd have to really break down each chapter and like talk about the philosophy of each thing he's saying. I wish that consciousness was a subject in school. Can you imagine? There are some schools, I don't Mm. know where, Mm. that include that in their curriculum. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It would be life-changing. That would be what could create a huge 
positive impact on the world. Oh yeah. You know, that and a, and a class on self-love, a class on mindfulness and meditation and confidence and just oh. like holistic nutrition. Like, can you, maybe we Amazing. should create our own school. I know. Let's do let's it. Let's do it. Done. Can we do it? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So that is a goodie. Uh, let's talk about how your days look before you mentioned that every day is different. But, and you've also mentioned some things that you do each day, like you love your bath with your podcast and your lavender. Do you have a morning routine? How does that look? And how do you prime yourself each day? Like, are there a couple of non-negotiables or how does your day kind of pan out? I know two days are never going to be the same, but are there a couple of, what are your go-tos, non-negotiables throughout your day, Um, especially in the mornings? I, I do kind of have a routine. You know, we we wake up, my son's two and a half, we, he gets, he has, still drinks the boobies in the morning and at night time. That's amazing. Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah, That's two and amazing. a half. Well, the World Health Organization suggests if you can breastfeed until age of three that that's optimal. I'll wean at three because I'll have a newborn <laughs> as well, yeah. so I'm going to be tandem <laughs> breastfeeding for a while. Whoa. Um, but he only breastfeeds once maybe twice a day um but in the morning we typically wake up he breastfeeds um and then we go to well I make him breakfast it's usually oatmeal we cook together and then I drop him at preschool and so I have those three hours when he's at preschool is my me time so I will usually go to Cafe Gratitude, which is this great restaurant in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a vegan restaurant. Um, and it's every, you know, everything you're eating has been made with love. Um, and so it feels really good in my body. So I typically will go and have a vegan muffin or the avocado, smashed avocado toast. Um, Yum. It's so good. <laughs> And then um, I'll blog. So I'll blog for an hour and a half either on Zen Life or Zen Mama. And then um, I've been listening to a podcast. It's really (laughs) un-Zen. But it's I'm so obsessed with true crime. It's like one of my passions. So I listen to this true crime podcast called Sword and Scale. Um, And so I'll like drive around, maybe do a couple of errands, listen to my podcast. Then I go pick up my son. We we come back and we have I usually have a kale salad with him with avocados and he'll have baked sweet potato fries. And then he'll nap, we'll wake up and go to the park for a few hours with our little best friends and do bath, bedtime, and that's kind of our days. Nice. Um, Unless I'm working on a film or something. But that's been the last month has been that routine, Monday through Friday. And because your day is, your life is quite transient, Mm -hmm. like, are you the type of person that loves that or do you like routine and structure? Because I love routine and structure, love it. But you're traveling and you're always, you know, doing different things. Do you like that? Yeah, it's funny. I have been loving having this preschool these days, like waking up and making him food. And then I go and pick him up. I always go and pick him up half an hour early so I can observe him in his environment. And I just thrive on it. I love it so much. The play dates. So I've been mourning the idea that that's all coming to an end because 
we're coming back to Australia, we're going to give birth. Um, but I also have been noticing and observing about myself that I do start to get kind of angsty for, uh, for a break, for, for a change. I like change. That's just, I guess, a part of my personality. Like I'll be in a routine for a month or so. And then I'm like, let's go shake it up. Let's go travel. Let's go somewhere. Let's go do something. Uh, and so I got to that point a couple of weeks ago and I was like, let's go to Hawaii. And so then we just went to Hawaii Amazing. for a few days, sh- shook it up. And it's just who I am. I do like living that kind of gypsy mm. lifestyle. I yeah, think. me too. It, like even just being in Sydney for like three weeks, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go somewhere. Let's, you know, yeah. let's go away for a weekend. Let's get out. Like I'm the same. I, I thrive off travel and I just absolutely love it. So I'm curious to know, uh, what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life? I am a massive fan of gratitude Me too. and practice it every single day. And I'm interested to hear three things that you're most recently grateful for. One thing that I'm so grateful for is that my body listened to me. Um, and I had the risk of having placenta previa, which is when your placenta is covering your cervix and you cannot give birth naturally. You have to have a cesarean section. So at my 20 week scan, I was told I had this risk. And so from that day on, I started talking to my placenta and I taught, I was like, please move, like, please move up and away. I need a lot of space. I want to give birth to my son vaginally. Um, and I really like every day I meditated on it. I asked for this to happen. And sure enough, last week I went to my 32 week scan to rule it out. So I either had to book in a cesarean in, you know, four or five weeks or I'd get to just proceed normally with my pregnancy. And sure enough, it not only had it moved slightly, it had moved completely out of the way. Full goosebumps. Yeah. It was like so, so far out the way that the doctor at the 32 week scan was like, are you sure you had placenta preview at the 20 week scan? Cause I had that one done in Australia and I was like, yes, here are my images. Look completely covering my cervix. So I'm very grateful to that. And I'm also grateful to my girlfriend, Katie, who was the one who was like, talk to your placenta. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it worked. So I'm very grateful for that. Oh man, I'm so grateful for, I swear to God, every aspect of my life. Like I'm so grateful for so many things in my life. Um, I just recently had a friend who lost a baby at 35 weeks and it has been super traumatic and like navigating through that, um, you know, she was a girlfriend that isn't in my inner circle, but is someone that I have known for many years. And so it makes me grateful that I have a healthy baby, touch wood right now. Um, but it also put a lot of things in perspective. Um, um, you know, I went through like a real mourning process for her, even though she's on the other side of the world. Um, it was a really 
interesting moment in my life because it made me just stop and realize like how grateful I am to have had Bodhi and to have a healthy baby right now. Um, and then also just brought awareness to the fact that there are six babies born in Australia that are born sleeping every day, every single day. I didn't even know that statistic. So there are six stillbirths every day. And we, a lot of women don't talk about that. And so, um, I'm grateful for the knowledge. I'm grateful for more awareness and, you know, having this healthy pregnancy. Uh, I'm grateful for opportunities like this, truly, like to be able to be around like-minded people and to be having such thoughtful conversations. Um, I love talking about this kind of stuff because it's, I'm like a sponge. I'm learning so much from just our interactions with one another. And I love that this is a conversation that people are having. Grateful for that. It feels like there's a movement towards consciousness and it's exactly what we need in our climate right now. And so I'm grateful for people like you who have your whole, like, your whole, like, livelihood is this world and putting it out to the universe and helping encourage people to lean into this side of themselves. Like, that makes me feel grateful. So, yeah. So beautiful. <laughs> I just want to say you are a seriously powerful manifester. Like, it, this is what happens when you are aligned with your truth. Nick always jokes because he, he says I'm a really, really powerful yeah. manifester too, but he always jokes that I have magical fairy dust. <laughs> and he's like, wherever you go, you just sprinkle your fairy dust and it happens. Like even just the other day, he's like, babe, get out your fairy dust, like when we we're trying to find a car park. <laughs> and like I literally do this action where I hold my hand up and sprinkle fairy dust and I'm not kidding you, someone pulls out of the car park. Like just silly things like that. But, you yeah. know, we've manifested, you know, I'm like, oh, I'd really like a new Vitamix. And then I get sent a Vitamix. You know, crazy just things just like that. Crazy. Yeah, I think it's when you're, you're vibrating at a super high level that high vibrating things come your way. I mean, it's just, it's also just science too. I mean, um, you know, when the secret came out, it was such a big, it was such a big deal. People have been talking about that kind of thing for a really long time. Um, the law of attraction, you know, the power of positive thinking, it's real. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I would love to hear now, I've got a couple more questions before we wrap up. I mean, we could keep talking for (laughs) hours and hours. Um, in your opinion, what is one of the most important things? What is the most important thing you believe that you can do for your health? One thing. Hmm. Oh, goodness. I'm trying to pick between mind health or physical health. Um, I guess mind health because mind health has such an important impact on the physical health. Um Mind health is meditation, I would say. Goosebumps, full goosebumps again. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, in your opinion again, what is one of the most important things you could do for your wealth? And when I I talk about wealth in in all of my work, I'm referring to your career and finances Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, doing what you love. So that's it. Yeah. I actually think that's it. That's like, it. Okay. You literally 
Like do what you love, Mm. whatever you can do to, because if you can monetize what you love, you will be so successful. Abundance will come your way because your heart's in it. That's your passion. And so if you can figure out ways to monetize that, amazing. Start a blog. Like go to art school and you love painting. Like you'll be able to start selling your artwork. Like it is leaning into what we love will bring you uh, abundance, I think. I couldn't agree more. And finally, what is one of the most important things you could do for love? Your relationships, self-love? I would say just getting to the root of who you are, knowing yourself. Because I think when you know yourself and your soul and your spirit and really all the things that make you tick, um, it's from that place where you can accept a huge amount of love and you can give a huge amount of love, not only to yourself but to other people. That's That would be the key. I have become a much greater lover now that I I know who I am. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this conversation has is what I live for. Yeah, me too. I These love it. types of conversations, I love it so much. Me too. I, love I it. have got so much out of this. And before we wrap up, I just want to honor you for so sweet. being your true, authentic Earth Mama Goddess self. You are Thanks. such an inspiration to me, Tez. Like, you really are the way you gracefully walk on this earth is so inspiring so sweet the way you parent I mean every time we catch up I get so much I remember you know when we went to Cafe Gratitude I had a whole list of rye parenting and all these things that I had to write down and go and google (laughs) after our interaction so thank you for being the goddess that you are thank you for the work that you do in the world with your zen life and your zen mama and the films and all the love and the parenting and just the energy that you vibrate and exude. I'm so honored to know you and to be friends with you. And I'm so grateful that you came over to my house to record this. And I'm just like, (laughs) you are the top of my gratitude list today. Oh, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for creating this platform. I think it's really important. It is. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Isn't she such an angel? What a beautiful soul. I always leave feeling so inspired and elated once I have had an interaction with Tez. She's just gorgeous. I just wanted her to hang out all day and chat with me and sip cups of tea, but she's got a little bubba to get back to. So, um, If you liked this, please leave me a five-star review and subscribe and leave me a comment and share this with the people that you love. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who else you'd like me to interview. And you do that by using the hashtag, the Melissa Ambrosini show and my handle, which is at Mel underscore Ambrosini. And make sure you also tag the person you want me to interview so I can see who you want me to interview. And for everything that Tez mentioned in the podcast, you can check that out at the show notes, which is melissarambrosini.com forward slash number two. And you can check out all my other podcasts at melissarambrosini.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for being here, for listening and for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today. You rock. Seriously, you do. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from listening 
listening to this episode, please, please, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.